Can you stand with me as we read the Word of God? Turn with me in your Bibles to Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11. I'll read in your hearing verses 1 through 4. Hosea chapter 11. It's after Daniel. I'll read verses 1 to 4 in your hearing. Whatever translation you have, I'm reading from the New International Version of the Bible. Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. And the Bible says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the farther they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim how to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Bow your heads with me as we consider the subject. I just can't help myself. I just can't help myself. Father in heaven, we come to your word now. We ask that you give us open hearts and receptive ears to hear about your scandalous love this morning. In your name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. Scandal is a TV show starring Olivia Pope, played by Kerry Washington. The TV show is about a scandal inside of a scandal that's based on a scandal, covering up another scandal that originally started a scandal. We cry about infidelity in social media, but every Thursday night at 10, we marvel at how one can love the president, a senator, some crazy friends, but not respect themselves. Megan Good is the star of another TV show called Deception that's based upon, you guessed it, deception. We have private practice, The Bachelor. I don't know how many seasons it's been on, but it's too many for my taste. Modern Family, Grey's Anatomy. Revenge, if you have cable, Gossip Girls, Vampire Diaries, just to name a few. And now it's even coming to the church where we have the sisterhood on TLC highlighting preacher's wives. Some people, they work out their relationship issues by watching television. Some people try to work out their relationships by consulting Oprah and Tyra Banks. But of course, we're better than those people who still go on the Maury Povich show and Jerry Springer. We're better than those people. People who, instead of facing their problems, they Facebook their problems. People who have desperation, but they're seeking inspiration. We have a group of people who tweet their problems instead of talk about their problems. People who inbox the pastor anonymously instead of seeking the master privately. It's no longer art imitating life, but it's life imitating art. People all week have been asking men, how can you fall in love with a woman you've never seen, never met, never went on a date with for three years. How can you fall for stupidity, try to cover it up, and then ask for empathy? I can imagine him looking at the, in the eyes of Katie Couric and just saying, I just can't help myself. I can hear him saying, she looked at me, she talked like me, she even had the same religion like me. She said the things I wanted to hear. I never met someone who knew me so well. The story got so big, I just didn't know what to do. I lied to my parents. I lied to Notre Dame. I lied to ESPN. But most of all, I lied to myself. I just can't help it. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I serve a God who knows what it's like to have relationship problems. 
I'm glad I serve a God who knows what it's like to be a single parent with baby mama drama and custody issues. You thought it was just the talk shows and court TV, but God says in verse 1, in verse 2 of Hosea chapter 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him out of Egypt. I called my son, but the more I called to him, the farther they went away from me. In the book of Hosea, God goes from a desperate husband to a jealous lover to demanding divorce to a codependent single parent. We see him asking the question, why did I get married in chapter one? He goes to using the kids in chapter two, using a prophet in chapter three, consulting the lawyers in chapter four and five, and the rest of the book is God trying to figure out what he wants. And we come to chapter 11. It reveals the heart of God in the monologue, kind of like at the end of Jerry Springer. We see God in the marriage counselor's office seeking help. We see God reaching out to his friends, to prophets for a listening ear. We see a frustrated parents who at their wits end with their crazy kids. We see a desperate spouse who is tired of begging for attention. We see a God who is bordering on the edges of lunacy. If I had time to preach about it this morning, I would tell you that I'm glad that God doesn't deal with his relationship issues like half of us do. He's in a perfect storm to do drugs, to gamble, to engage in maladaptive behavior. Most of us, not you, but some people out there, they would go to the casino, the kitchen, the club, or to the mall to drown out their problems. But God reaches out for help when he has relationship problems. If God had a MySpace page, they still do music on it, by the way. If he had a YouTube channel, he would record a song entitled, You Belong to Me. He would sing, I Wear Short Shorts. She wears short shorts, but I wear T-shirts. She's the cheer captain, and I'm sitting on the bleachers, dreaming one day when you would wake up and find that the thing you've been looking for has been here the whole time. If you could see, Israel, that I'm the one that understands you. Been here all along, so why can't you see you belong with me? God says, I've been calling them, but the more I blow up their phone, the more I poke them on Facebook, the more I text them, the more they ignore me. God is saying, I can see that you're online on Facebook. Why don't you answer your phone when I call? Please don't block me. Stop ignoring me. God is saying in verses 1 and 2, please pay attention to me. But he says, the more I called them, the more they text back to me, talk to you later. The more I called them, the farther they went from me. I can see God making the circuit of talk shows, and he would start with Dr. Drew's on call. And they would open the show in verse 3, and he would, he would tell Dr. Drew, I taught Ephraim how to walk, calling them nicknames now, taking them by the arms, but they didn't realize that it was I who healed them. Talking about how y'all went to the park in the walking chair. Talking about how when Israel was a baby, he fell down. You picked him up, wiped the dirt off, and kissed the boo-boos. But he didn't even know it was you. In the middle of the talking, Dr. Drew would interrupt, and he would say, you crazy. You're out your mind. You need some help. And then God would say, oh, remember you were driving to my house in the middle of the night. I'm the one who makes you laugh when you're about to cry. I know your favorite songs and you tell me about your dreams. Think I know where you belong. I think I know what's with me. I could see Dr. Drew listening intently, wondering if God is a parent or a spouse when talking about Israel. He would ask God, do you think it's possible? Do you think it's in the realm of plausibility that you're just a minor bugaboo? And God would ask Dr. Drew, what's a bugaboo? And Dr. Drew would reply, someone 
is a bugaboo if they call you every 10 minutes. If they're always texting you and IMing you and calling you and emailing you and tweeting you just to get a response. They can't leave a message on your phone because they've made your voicemail full of their calls. That's why it says the more I called them, the more they left me. God would respond, I know, I know, I know, I know. I just can't help myself, Dr. Drew. If I had time to talk about it this morning, I would tell you that there's some people in your life, there's some relationships that you have where you say to your friends, I really don't like them. I really don't need them. I don't like anything about them, but I like having them around. I'm afraid to tell them that I'm not feeling them. I don't, I don't, I don't really want him, but he buys me those prepaid cell phone minutes. You're settling for a frog when God has a prince for you. You're afraid of calling that boy what he is. He's a bugaboo. And it's not just for ladies. There's some men who are acting like players because they hurt and they vacillate between trying to be a player and trying to be a stalker. Let her go. She's not a spare tire that you just keep around when you want. If she ignores you, stop, be, stop friending her second cousins on Facebook just trying to figure out what she's doing. Let her go. But I, I know y'all better than that. But if I was God... I would have left already. Just sitting there waiting to exhale, wasting his good years, spending time and money for a people that don't want him. I would have closed up shop, but I can hear God saying throughout the Bible, I just can't help myself. You see, when you read the Old Testament, it kind of reads like a relationship blog from God. In Genesis, uh-oh, they cheated on him with a snake. In Exodus, they cheated on him with a calf. In Numbers, they cheated on him with some pigeons, but he still wants them. I'm not an LCSW, but that's, those are some weird people. God has some serious relationship issues where he is attracted to people who have strange addictions. In Exodus, he tells Moses, I'm done with them. I'll just kick it with you. But, but wait a minute, I changed my mind. In Judges, he, he tells Medea, I can change them, I, I can fix them, I, I can love them, I, I can help them, but they won't give me a chance. He says in Judges, we, we break up just to make up, but I still want to work it out. We're not even going to talk about Ezekiel and Isaiah where God gets desperate. In Jeremiah, he says, they, they've turned their backs on me. I've given them the ring. I've given them the wedding. I've given them the house. But he says, they've forgotten me days without number. And then he blows up Twitter when he says in Jeremiah 2 verse 5, what problem did your ancestors find with me that they strayed so far away from me? God is the one who's being abused, but he has the nerve to blame himself. God is in need of an intervention, y'all. In verse 1, he says, talk to me. In verse 2, he says, listen to me. In verse 3, he says, pay attention to me. In verse 4, he says, love me. And we keep asking God the question, why do you want someone who doesn't love you? All I can hear God is telling Dr. Jew is I just can't help myself. God is worse than Leah, you see, in, in the book of Genesis, because Leah asked the same questions, but she couldn't afford to leave. Here is a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Here is a God who has the adoration of angels, but he stays in a relationship with abusive people, and he just keeps tweeting, I just can't help myself. I could see him leaving Dr. Drew's studio and sitting on a couch, with a panel of Oprah, Dr. Phil, and Medea doing interviews. Oprah would ask God, why do you stay in a relationship with someone who doesn't love you, someone who ignores you and abuse you? 
I could hear Medea asking God, why don't you just get some hot grits and be done with it? I could see Dr. Phil breaking down to God what Stockholm syndrome is. He would see, you know, he would bend over in the chair and say, God, Stockholm syndrome is named after a bank robbery that happened in Stockholm, Sweden, where several bank employees were held hostage in a bank vault for six days in 1973. And he would say, God, during the situation, the victims became emotionally attached to their captors. They rejected assistance from the government officials and in some cases even defended them after they were freed for six days. Dr. Phil would go on and on and say it's a psychological phenomenon using big words that he thinks God can understand, you see. He would say it's where hostages express empathy and sympathy and have positive feelings toward their captives. The feelings are irrational when you consider the danger or risk endured by the victim who mistakes the lack of abuse for an act of kindness. And God would say, so, so I can tell my friend that he loved me because he's not kidding me anymore. He gives me some flowers. He, he buys me a day spa group on me, buys me some foundation to cover up the abuses. He doesn't show affection, but at least he doesn't hit me anymore. Dr. Phil would say, it's Stockholm Syndrome. I don't know about you, but if someone degrades me, ignores me, and pays me no attention, sooner or later my friends, my family, or my coworkers will call for a psychological evaluation. Or even worse, they would call for a 5150. They say it's cheaper to keep her, and if you can't love the one you want, then love the one you're with. But there comes a point where enough is enough, and it's time to make a move. And God comes to his senses in verse 7 when he says, I will let you leave. He says in verse 7, my people are determined to turn away from me. Even though they call me God the Most High, I will by no means exalt them. God is saying, I need a legal separation. He's saying, I need some space. I need some time for myself. You don't want me when you had me, so I'll holler at you when I see you in the street. I can see God going on social camera and recording another song. And he would say, while all the time I was loving you, you were busy loving yourself. I would have stopped breathing if you told me to. Israel, now you're busy loving someone else. I should have left you a long time ago. But I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to shed no tears. I'm not going to cry because you are not worth my time. Sometimes you have to just let them leave. Don't call me on my birthday. Don't write on my wall. Don't tag yourself in my photos. Don't text me just to see how I'm doing. You didn't want me when you had me, so why do you want me now? Israel, here's what you want. You want intimacy without commitment. You want what I can do for you instead of wanting me. Don't throw me aside, criticize me, and cheat on me, and why did I get married, and then regret your decision, and why did I get married too? God is saying, you didn't want me when you had me. What you want is a friend with benefits. You want me to help you with no strings attached. God says, you do you, and I do me. There comes a point when God says, I'll let you leave. You have determined to leave, so sister, I'll let you go. You see, there's a thing about love that it cannot be forced. It must be free. That's why God says, let her go in Judges over and over and over and over again. God said, let her go in Samuel and in Kings. 
In Ezekiel, he said, let her go. In Isaiah, he says, the dog knows his owner, but, but let her go. In Jeremiah, he says, I gave her the wedding, but they've forgotten me. He said, let her go. And here in Hosea, he says, I had to let her leave. Hit us, not to see if her love was real. It's so she could know that my love is real. Love is not real if it's not free. You see, if you, if you don't love someone for who they are, you're only loving the reflection of yourself that you see in them. Love has to be free. He had to let her leave. You see, Hosea is confusing to both conservative scholars and liberal scholars. When you read Hosea chapter 2, Gomer leaves only to find herself enslaved again as a temple prostitute. It was a parallel when God would let Israel be taken into captivity by Assyria in 722 B.C. Verse 5 of Hosea chapter 11 says, You tried to flirt with Egypt. You tried to flirt with Assyria while in a relationship with me. God says, okay, go ahead and be with him. If you can't trust me to provide for you and to protect you and to keep you, then go to Assyria. See how they treat you when you get hungry. See how they treat you when times get tight. So when Gomer left, when Israel left, they thought they were choosing to go. But they didn't realize that when you don't have a love for God inside of you, it's sin that carries you away. But they had to leave in order for them to realize it for themselves. God told me to tell you to consider the role of judgment in redemption. When he lets you leave and he doesn't chase after you and you experience the consequences of your actions, verse 2 says the more he called them, the more they rebelled, which means they had to get to the place where the pain of remaining the same was greater than the pain of change. You see, you have to get to the place where you're so frustrated, so backed into a corner, you have to get to rock bottom, not knowing where to go or who you are or where you are, and you begin to think to yourself, there's got to be something better than this. It's where you get to the place where all options are gone. All right, you all are too good for that one. It's where you're sitting in the emergency room waiting for the blood test to come back. I know it doesn't apply to you, but it's where you're sitting in the rehab center wondering how did I get so many drugs in my system. It's where you're looking at your credit report wondering where are you going to live because you've been gambling away your paycheck just to make ends meet. You have to get to that place. When you hit rock bottom, then you're ready for him. Hosea chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 says, I will chase after my lovers, but I won't catch them. I will look for them, but I won't find them. And then I will finally say to myself, I should go back to my husband because I was better off with him than I am now. And it says in verse 8 that she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her her grain, her new oil and her wine, who lavished her with silver and gold, which she used for bail. God says, you've been spending my money, breathing my oxygen while you're doing your own thing. God says, I will let you leave until you find yourself in a place where you're engaging in more sin and self-destructive behavior because you're afraid of going to God. Let's just be honest. You think that if you go to God before your test results come in, if you go to God when you're strung out, 
If you go to God after the hangover, if you go to God with no money in your pocket, with insufficient funds, you wonder, will he accept me? That's the place where the devil whispers in your ear, you've gone too far. You're, you're too holy. You've broken all of the commandments. You deserve what you get. That's where the devil wants to keep us. He never talks about the sufficiency of the Savior, but he only talks about the sinfulness of the sinner. He wants us to get stuck in filth in the cycle of guilt and shame because this is the place where we think that we cannot return, where we're almost sinking in water, where we look at the checkbook and see insufficient funds and overdraft fees, and we feel the urge to do something illegal. Maybe it's just me. And we get to that place where I say, I just can't help myself. And there is God is telling Oprah, Dr. Phil, and Medea, I can't help myself because they can't help themselves, but now they know it. I could hear Israel calling into, into the TV show, and Oprah tries to block the call, but God says, let it through. And Israel starts singing, some people want diamond rings. Some people want everything, but God, everything means nothing if I ain't got you. And the crowd starts yelling to drown out her voice. But God stands up and says in verse 8, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I let you go, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma and Zeboam? My heart is changed within me. All of my compassion is aroused. God is saying, I want you back. I want to work it out. I know you're trying to save me from myself, Oprah, but I just can't help myself. I know, Dr. Phil, I need a psychological evaluation. I know you say I need a 5150. Medea, you say I'm codependent. However, I'm not ignorant. I'm stupid. For me to claim ignorance would mean I don't know any better. But because I created knowledge, I don't claim ignorance. I claim stupidity. I'm stupid because I know everything about them before there was of them. I created them with everything I know about them. I commit myself to them after they cheat on me abuse me, ignore me, and leave me with two kids. I know exactly what I'm getting into. All of a sudden, God's Twitter account would blow up and say, you can do better. You can do bad all by yourself. You deserve better, God, that they're not worth it. you just like my second cousin, June, but God ignores all of it and says, I want to work it out. And he says, my heart is churning within me. My compassion is aroused. I want to leave. I want to go, but I just can't help myself. We see in Hosea a God with a fierce love, a salacious and a scandalous love that says, even though you left me and went to the devil, I will let you cheat on me with him in front of me with the oxygen that I put in your lungs. I will let you cheat with the heart that's beating because of my grace. God is saying, even if you're in a relationship with the enemy, you can look at your options behind his back, and I hope that I'm one of them. That's scandalous love. God who says, even though you left me with kids, even though you left me with kids that may or may not be mine, even though you left me with kids to change their diapers, to take them to school, to feed them and to bathe them and read bedtime stories to them, I will still let you back in my house. That's scandalous love. Verses 10 and 11 of Hosea chapter 11 says, they'll come back. They'll, they'll follow me. It says, I'll let them back into my house. I could see God telling the panel, 
Oprah had buyer's remorse the first time. But tell Medea, I, I let her go. And Dr. Phil would say, don't you know about the refund policies in the state of California? You see, consumers have come to expect stores or catalog companies to offer a refund, a credit, or an exchange when they return items. But the sellers are not obligated by law to give you anything when you return an item. But it does require the California retailers to have a written policy of why or why, why not they'll give a refund. And the, and the policy has to be in a language that you can understand and a place on the product that you can read it. I don't know about you, but when God redeemed me, he said, I love them with an everlasting love. I can't give them back because the sale is final. I don't want to rent them. I don't want to upgrade them or exchange them. I want them for life. The sale is final. I don't want to return them, but I cannot force them to stay. I wish they would pay attention to me. I wish they would love me. I'm committing myself to them, and the sale is final. When I put the lamb on the altar, that was a layaway payment. And when I showed up and you nailed me to a tree, I spilt my blood for you because that was final payment. I was saying the sale is final. When I go, lifting, when I go looking after the lost coin, I'm saying that the sale is final. When I go looking after that lost and dumb sheep, I'm saying the sale is final. How many of you know that when God saves you, he says the sale is final? He made the sale final, but I still left. And when I come back, the devil puts, to, he puts a notice on my soul in Hosea chapter 3. And it says, if you want them back, the policy is as is. List all of the flaws. He's damaged. He's flawed. He's been used, abused, and misused. There are scratches in his spirit. There are scars on his heart and there's dents in his soul. If you take him, I cannot guarantee that he will be operational in the future. You have to accept him as is. And there I am in the customer service line. And God says, I know the defects. I know the issues. And devil, I release you from all liability of maintenance. I accept the terms of your agreement. I will accept him as is. And when the devil sees God's commitment, they engage in an auction where the price keeps going higher and higher and higher. But God says, I cannot let him go. I am willing to bankrupt myself for this person who has no value to you, but he's priceless to me. And then the devil gives the history of ownership and explains all of the issues and say, God, are you sure? But God says, I just can't help myself. I will pay a price that you put on his soul. I know that he's screwed up, but I just can't help myself. That's why Jesus tells the parable of the Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, that there is a man who's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he is attacked by robbers, and they strip him and beat him and leave him half dead. And when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. When the Levites saw him, he passed by on the other side. But when the Samaritan saw him, the Samaritan said to himself, I just can't help myself. 
I will bandage up his wounds with oil and wine. I will put him on my donkey and I will take him to Motel 6 and I will take care of him. I just can't help myself. I just can't help myself. So I go to the innkeeper and say, please call a travel nurse to look at him and to look after him. And here's my credit card for any expenses that he will incur in the future. And the innkeeper asks the question, why would you do it? Why would you care about someone you've never met? Why are you willing to pay for someone who's not worth it? For someone who has more liabilities than assets? And he would look at the innkeeper and say, I just can't help myself. I don't know about you, but when Jesus saw me sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, I was very deeply stained within and I was sinking to rise no more. But when he lifted me up, he heard my despairing cry. And from the waters, he lifted me now safe and I. And Jesus says they would ask him, why did you save him? Why did you help him? And he would say, I just can't help myself. And he carries me to the emergency room of the closest hospital and he finds out about my pre-existing conditions of being born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And he goes to the doctor and say, doctor, I know you're under health care reform, but here's my insurance card and my credit card. Charge any procedures, tests, surgeries or rehabs to my account because I know he can't pay. And the doctor would look at Jesus and say, how can you do it? And Jesus would look back and say, doctor, I just can't help myself. I saw him hurting himself. I saw the deep wounds. I knew that when I saved him, it would cost me more than most is willing to pay. But I need to leave him in your care because there's some more people drowning. There's some more helpless people out there that I need to save. And before Jesus leaves the trauma bay, I try to say thank you. I try to show appreciation, but he bends down and whispers in my ear, son, I already know. You don't have to say anything. Just be here when I get back. I just can't help myself. I love me some you. I don't know about you. That's a crazy God. That's a scandalous God. A God who wants you when he knows everything about you. Here in California, there's a pizza retailer, Annie Frozen Pizzas, headquartered in Berkeley, makes all of these pizzas, and some of them are vegetarian. But she issued a recall this week. She said, I, I found something in the flour at one of my, our crust factories. And the pizzas have already gone out in the stores, the stores you buy most of your food. And they released a press release saying the types of pizzas that are being recalled and a hotline for you to call if you have one of these pizzas. Hear me, pizzas that are good from now to most of the end of the year. It's a big recall. It's frozen pizza. They say because of a problem that we created, because of a defect in a product that we thought was good, you have a liability. You trusted us. Here's a recall for you to come bring your pizza back. 
You'll get a coupon and you'll get a new pizza. Because of a problem that we created. Because of a defect that's our fault. It's not an as-is policy. We assume liability. You bring pack, you bring back the defective pizza. And I'll give you a perfect pizza. And I'll give you your money back. I don't know about you, but when Jesus created me, I didn't come from a factory. I didn't come off of an assembly line, but he made me with his own hands. He knit me together in my mother's womb. I came out perfect. But along the way, I was broken. Along the way, I rebelled from him. Along the way, I left him. And the more he blew up my phone, the more I ignored him. I changed his name in my phone to Bugaboo. Every time I see him, I know I'm not going to answer. There's something inside of me that's defective. But God says, this morning, I'm going to issue a recall. Even though I made you perfect, I'm going to assume liability in a product that I made perfect. But you messed it up. Hear me, this is all you got to do. Realize that there's a defect inside of you and come to me and I'll fix it for free. And when you come to me, I'll take out all of the dead materials inside of you. And I'll replace them not with human-made stuff like dough and cheese and tomatoes, but I'll replace the sin that's inside of you with my spirit and my love. And when people ask me, why do you take responsibility for a product that you made perfect? You want to know why he does it? He didn't create the problem. It's so we'll know that we didn't create the solution. And if you want to say, preacher, there's something inside of me that's defective and I want to give it to him now. I invite you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray a special prayer just for you. It's not dough that's inside of you. It's not cheese that's inside of you that's defective. You've been born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And when you come to God, he knows everything about you. He knows you're a screw up. He commits himself to you knowing you're going to cheat on him. But when he puts a ring on it, he says the sale is final. And even when you leave me and try to come back, I will accept you as you are. There's somebody here under the sound of my voice that says, Preacher, that's a good deal. It's something I need right now. I invite you to come to the front. I'm going to pray a special prayer just for you. You want God's recall. You want him to accept you as you are and remake you in a way that you could never dream of, that you could never think of, that you could never work in yourself if you had a million lifetimes. Is there one? You want to say, God, I need you to accept me as I am. I know the church has a return policy. I know what the church's return policy is, but God says, come to me. I have an as-is policy. I will accept you as you are. With your dents, with your scratches, with your 
bruises, when you've been pimped by the devil and have nothing to give. God says, I will accept you as you are. Is there another? You want to give yourself to God in a way that you never have. If you're like me, you've already broken your New Year's resolutions. That's all right. God says, come to me and I will be your resolution. Is there another? You want to give yourself to him in a way you never have before. And there'll be people in your life that will tell you you're too screwed up. But when they tell you you're a great sinner, yeah, that's true. You got the record. But tell them of a great Savior. Is there another? You want to give yourself to God in a way that you never have. Or you may have never have given yourself to him, but you're tired of living your life the way you're living it. Come to him even now. And he will give you a better deal than any manufacturer in the company. He will give you a better deal because he's given himself to you. Is there another? Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, we're living in a time where people are screwed up. People are off their rocker. People are crazy. Doing crazy things. But, but God, you're crazier than them. Loving people with strange addictions. Loving people after the prophets have given you an intervention. And you're saying, I just have to have them. But you see, when God does it, he does it of free will. When we choose him, we're choosing him because of the love he gives us. Lord, I ask the people here under the sound of my voice. They're tired of living scandalous lives. And they need a scandalous love to meet them right now. Father, I ask that you go to that boy, that girl, that man, that woman who wonders what will you do when I've made a mess of my life? God, let them know that you have to have them. That you can't help yourself. That if they would surrender to your love, you will redeem them and let them back into your house. Give that person right now the peace and the freedom that they need. We do it because you said do it. You do it because you says, whoever is thirsty, let them come. Give them the thirst that they've been trying to satisfy their entire lives. And God, when you do it, we'll give you all of the honor and all of the glory. If you need God to take your mess and give you life, just respond by saying amen. God bless you.